Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Cult and Classic Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nate Wyckoff, comedian, writer, and critic for HorrorNews.net. With us today is Amanda Longley. How are you doing, Amanda? I'm great today. How are you, Nate? I'm good. I'm excited for this discussion. Uh, also with us, Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? What's up, chumps? Uh, and with us, as usually always, sometimes uh, on every episode, Jeff Tucker. How are you doing, Jeff? What up? I've been told I have a big head. Yeah. Wait, I have a big head. I've been told that. <laughs> that was my wife told me that very early on. And I was, not, I was already oh. aware. Uh, okay, so this week's theme is family all in the family is the theme and uh we have good night mommy the uh very fascinating and well-received austrian film uh, by uh, uh severin fiala and veronica franz that's from 2014 and opposite that we have head of the family which is a personal favorite cult flick of mine uh directed by charles band of course head of full moon video uh, and Trancers, 1984, he directed and wrote as well. And uh, the, the story is actually by Charles Band, as many Full Moon video ones are, but the script is written by Neil Marshall Stevens, who wrote a fair amount of uh, big-budget theater release films, like the 13 Ghosts remake in 2001. So, uh, first up, Good Night, Mommy. So, like I said, this is a well-received film. Just a note to anyone, if you're interested in seeing this film, it's it's a pretty solid production and you like kind of psychological indie gritty horror films, spoilers will affect this. So there are spoilers here. Skip ahead 45 minutes to the to head of the family if you uh, if you don't want to experience that, but we're going to get right into it. The plot of Goodnight Mommy is two twin brothers, uh, probably about age 10, right? I would think somewhere around there. I'm not good with ages, but they're kids. 12, uh, something like 12, that, yeah. somewhere around there. They're, 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 they're not quite teens yet. They're, they're pre-teen. They're they a little skinny cat. You know, so 12. Oh, six, five, my family too. I don't know yeah. how, how old it is. Yeah, so they are uh, at a rural, very nice, super European, mid-century modern house like they only have in Europe and only ever seem to show up in these indie films. Um, they're there and their mom comes back from some sort of surgery uh, with bandages all over and they start to uh, get convinced that she's an imposter um, and it's not really their mom even when the bandages come off and she seems to look pretty close to 
their mom. Uh, the twist ends up being that there is only one brother. Uh, the other brother died under circumstances that we'll discuss because it is open to interpretation. Uh, and this the remaining brother through guilt or some schizophrenic break is imagining that the other brother's still alive and that the mom won't acknowledge him. And the result is uh, the burning alive of the mother, presumably. There's some question on what really happens in this movie, which we'll get into, but that is the, uh, that's the gist of it. Okay, so first up, let's do Tad. What'd you think? All my time at the video store watching foreign films, this reminded me how many films I watched that had this style where I'm like three-fourths of the movie way through. I'm like, what the fuck's the point of this movie? And then the ending happens and I'm like, oh, now the whole movie makes sense and I'm probably never going to watch this again. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> that's, 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 just a, a, that's just my uh, initial impression. I actually thought that a lot of the cinematography was fantastic. I thought that the twist was actually kind of creative, um, and uh, it's you know having a, an eight-year-old. Yeah, I can I can see some of this stuff happening. At least the, it, some of it, some of it. And the, the, I will say the scenery, um, the nature scenery, and sort of both the internal rooms of the house and the decor are quite fabulous. And the external nature is really beautiful. Um, it's. Uh, it's this whole film is shot on 35 millimeter, so it's not a digital film, and you can tell it looks very beautiful. The light is is really saturated. Um, I guess before we move on, just to kind of, uh, although this is this film is subtitled in English and other languages, but it is um, not in English, so I won't play any clips. Although there's very little dialogue in general throughout this entire feature, you could probably fit it on a couple of pages. Um, I'll play just this clip from the beginning when the boys are running around outside uh, with the ambient music they use to kind of give a vibe because I feel like it sets the whole tone for the movie right away. And the sound, the sloshing is this really bizarre uh, I don't know what kind of um, bog they're walking on, but I, I don't think we have them here in the U.S. or at least not not in most places. It's mm. like this hard, parched earth, peat moss kind of stuff on top of a bog. That's it looks fake. It looks like foam mm. sitting on top of water that they're bouncing on, but it is, I guess, a real occurrence. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so it's really fascinating. And that's the sound. And you get a lot of sound in this movie, but very little dialogue. I don't know, Mandy. What was your take? Um, as a parent, uh, it was kind of terrifying. <laughs> Chad didn't really like go that far, but yeah, it's um, extra scary in that sense. I also haven't really watched horror movies in like the last 10 years, so it was a nice revisiting of that genre um, in general. Um, and I really did appreciate uh, like the sets, like you said, the sets and the ambiance of the whole thing was really well done. Um, I felt that I knew what was going on very, very early in the movie. And it was a little boring in that way, but I felt like the direction of the movie did a good job in maintaining the tension despite that. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I, I didn't, we'll, we'll talk about expectations because I think this movie had sort of, 
it, it, it hangs a lot on your expectations of the film. And it wasn't, there were certain things that I had expected that I didn't get and things that I didn't expect that I did get. And it sort of affects how, uh, how my overall interpretation of the movie. Um, and I just want to say um, the writer-director pair, uh, it, they, they recently, last year, came out with the, their American feature, The Lodge. So um, if you've seen that or you're interested in that, um, highly recommend it. Again, they're in for beautiful cinematography. Um, I think, and we'll get to what you think, Jeff, when I'm good and ready. Uh, <laughs> 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 what, uh, what, what I think sort of it, it will strike American audiences and probably UK audiences as well is that this is a very slow film. Um, it's intentional, I think, because it's paced steadily like there's no jumps in pacing up and down it's not uneven it's a very slow burn even slog um through sort of a death it feels desolate even though they have this lush house this beautiful nature it feels desolate because they're isolated and there is so little communication of the verbal variety in this film jeff what is your take on good night mommy oh boy okay so I actually say this to myself all the time that I don't like horror films. And then I, I basically, I forget the fact that uh, I really don't like certain genres of horror films. Um, and like the psychological and kind of more thriller focused horror films, I actually do really like. Um, and, I, and I do really like this film quite a lot. Um, there's no music in it, um, which is kind of almost haunting. Like, you know, that, that clip that you just played of the, kind of the noise of it's the just bouncing. ambient tones it's yeah. all ambient tones throughout the whole thing like they walk through like a crypt with like bones and it's just like you just hear crunching of, of like the bones and it's like it was weird that they never brought that place back but it was just this really creepy well, spot so so just to touch on that because that was one of my first questions too is i scoured i'm like are these real because it's um they have these in and actually new england might have some of these um mm. where where all of us actually at one point in time are from um they they're sort of communal crypts underneath the graveyard mm. proper where um the the basically the poor people's bones were um and oftentimes we still have the same place in a lot in almost every cemetery i can think of that's not a family plot like in new hampshire but they're mm. usually for the gardener or the tending tools um but it's the same thing and i i don't know you know experts on uh you know, old European grave sites would know more, but they yeah, do yeah, usually yeah. have, they do often have these piles of bones. I think they're probably real remains. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know that this movie, that they would have stocked this with fake remains that look pretty good. Um, but it does seem weird, especially to, to, I guess, American sensibilities that you would have. Uh, trouncing uh, through there. A couple, yeah, a couple of, of real life twins just jumping through some corpses essentially yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but it is a very effective scene yeah yes and, and i think what we're getting to both uh, mandy and jeff this is definitely a horror film we do a lot of, we do almost every genre uh in this in this podcast and this is one of those horror films where it's not a monster film it's not a slasher film it's a solid psychological horror film and it is I think there's there is gore not a ton but the gore is very i think effective because it's very realistic everything is household related and nothing is nothing is out of the realm of what we have in our homes um it was almost like accidental gore yes like, it was like so. never yeah it wasn't like kind of you know put there to like in your face right. it was like you know somebody 
could have had actually had this kind of like scenario yeah. happen. Well, and I mean, we can get right into it, right? Basically, at one point in time, the kids are, are so convinced, uh, it seems, that their mother uh, could be somebody else, that they've tied her to the bed because um, she's she's having gone through a divorce and some sort of accident. You never really know if the accident is related to her surgery on her face or not, because she's also just gone through a brutal divorce. So it almost looks like she had a, lots of face work, you know, she'd been touched by an angel. And so, and that sort of head wrap. But um, I think we're, my guess would be is that we're supposed to probably assume that it was related to the accident that we ultimately find out killed the other brother. But they tie her to the bed. And at one point in time, two super bossy Red Cross um, uh, <laughs> members come to try and seek donations. And I'm like, wow, that would not fly in the US. They no, I don't know how, I need to look at how much power Red Cross has uh, in, in, in uh, I guess, Eastern Europe uh, because they just barge right in. There's no one in the house, like no one's here, but the door's open. They're wandering around, calling out. And then there's a couple of kids and they're like, is your mom home? Um, they're like, no. And like, well, sh when will she be back? And like, today. And they're like, can we wait? And they're like, okay. And so they just start doing their business, sitting around at the table for an eternity. And one of them is like this very, I don't know what equates to this in, in Europe, but in the US, this is a very Midwestern, like young grandma who is just, that, that's her personality. She's bought everything she says to the kids sounds almost like an accusation, even though she's presumably being nice. Like, she's just like, what do you do all day? Well, is your mother gone all the time? And you're just like, are you, what, who are you? Get out of my house. <laughs> But yeah, I'm off track. I'm off track. They come in and the mom is trying to scream through her gag. Um, they very close call, lots of tension. They leave. Um, she gets the gag off and they super glue her mouth shut. At which point um, later on to feed her, although they never seem to actually feed her, uh, they, they carefully cut the thing and miss and just blood is just really gross and comes out. And it's, it's visceral because it's one of those things like, um, uh, was it, what's the movie Feeding Sharks where they have a, a paper cut on the eye? Like really visceral things. It's like uh -huh. lips are so sensitive that I, I don't know about anybody else, but that was like a, ooh. Yeah. Like it, yeah, it, was, it was hard, but she was also like clearly trying not to cry out because she uh -huh. knew her more and like it would not be in her best interest for them to stop cutting. And so that was, that was like really interesting like in the movie making well it's interesting because for for a good chunk of the movie i mean we we don't necessarily know if a twist is going to happen where it isn't their mom or something um because there's this scene when she's tied down like she has a beauty mark and then like one of them they realize that it's rubbed and she's like they took it off at the hospital well, she and got like, splashed with water and so it was like makeup. right they threw water on her. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, so yeah, she's yeah. brushing it off at which point you're kind of like why did she put it back on? And like, well, she clearly suspected maybe that they didn't think it was her, right? But it's just a weird moment where you're as the audience, you're like, I'm pretty sure this is their mom, but is it going to be their mom? You know, they find mm -hmm. a picture where they're like, there's a, because uh, they're twins, right? And they dress similarly. Mm -hmm. And then later on to, to mess with her, they dress the same, you think, and get the same haircut. But they see a picture in a photo album and it's her dressed with an another woman who looks identical, dressed the exact same way, covering her face with glasses and the whole deal. She's like, me and my friend used to dress alike. Who the fuck does that? I don't know. 
unless unless you're eight year old twins, like who does that, right? Nate, let's do it. Let's let's dress the same. <laughs> let's dress the same. This Every is morning, audio. I want I want a report as to what to wear. <laughs> this is an, this is an audio podcast. As far as they know, we're all dressed the same. We're actually one body so, with four heads. <laughs> what? Was there a point where they um, insinuated that she was also a famous personality? Yes, she was yes, a was like a, a news. Like, yeah, she was like a morning show host. It sounded like, mm -hmm. and in the beginning, but I like, thought maybe, yeah, I thought maybe she put her mold back on or painted it back on because mm. it was like part of her identifying characteristics. That, that very, that even though sense. she got a whole bunch of facial facial surgery, mm. it was like yeah. maybe she didn't want to let that part go because it differentiated her from the other hosts. There's so. So there's a lot of things that as, Mandy, you mentioned this um, after watching it, where you said, um, I feel like there's a lot of, um, you know, Germanic and Austrian, Austrian sort of uh, symbology or, um, or symbolism and maybe some other context that we were missing. And I think that's probably mm -hmm. true. Um, but there's a lot of other things that are just straight up visual cues that I didn't get uh, until mm -hmm. going back um, and watching it and reading up on it, because I still didn't get some of them. Um, so one of the theories going on is that uh, uh, there was a fire and that was the accident and that's what killed the other brother. Um, I'm not sure how the accident and the face of, of the mother really would fit because I, that does, that did not look like, like a facial, like a face transplant or skin grafts. Like that to me looked like facial reconstruction surgery. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I live in Southern California and uh, I'm pretty familiar with what that looks like. <laughs> um, but uh, there's with that thought, because at the end, the mother, we assume we see her die or engulfed in flames. Right. Um, when she's she's tied to she's tried to escape. They drug her back in. They've um, basically used fabric and nails to nail her to the floor. Um, and she's like it's me. And he's like, if you're really our mom, what is Lucas doing? Cause it's the name are Elias and, and Lucas. And she's like, Lucas is dead. And that's the big reveal. Like there is no Lucas. And of course we see Lucas going to light the drapes on fire. Right. Um, and she's like, I can't see him. He's dead. And he's like, you would know. And then he goes and lights the drapes on fire. And we know that, okay, it's in his head. Um, but the fire motif then comes in. And once that happens, we look back. And at one point in time, she's concerned or angry about what Elias oh, is I'd doing. I'd say overly angry about- She's very that. aggressive, right? Like she yeah. holds him mm -hmm. down on the bed at one point and another time she doesn't just slap him and say, you know, she tells him, don't listen to your brother. Um, and she's slapping him and she's filming it on her yeah. phone because we see it on the phone later, which I mean, it's so she's not necessarily, obviously she's under a lot of stress. She's just had surgery. She's lost a child and she's gone through this divorce. Maybe because of that, we don't know. Um, well, I think I think she also was clearly like clinically depressed. She was sure she requested that like all the like yes. the the blinds the drapes, be closed, yeah. you know, like no, no visitors. Noise. Yeah, so I mean, she she had like a pretty clear. Like, she's sleeping with sleeping pills. For. Not that that has to be, but that's part of it, right? She's yeah. sleeping a lot. She doesn't want to talk even to the kids. Sometimes they'll come in and she's awake. You know, um, she's. Now, what was with bed. the crunchy toast? That was so creepy. Dude, I, I didn't know what that was at first. I, I was like, either. what the I, hell is going on here? I love that. That was like one of my favorite it's, scenes. I assumed it was some sort of weird <laughs> Austrian treat. I'm like, I'm like, she, <laughs> like what is going on? And then uh, there's, so, so she's clearly clinical. Like there's problems, right? Like you're like, okay, these kids probably should not be in care with her anyway mm -hmm. at this moment. Like they should not be isolated at this place. Um, but 
she there's a moment when she you know when she's angry at him before she holds him down on the bed i think uh she finds a lighter in his room i was like what is this and looking back then you're like oh was it a fire right that killed the other brother and maybe then you can insinuate after watching the movie was it the other brother that set the fire mm-hmm. um and uh and so you're like interesting okay um and because the other brother is the instigator, right? Even though he hangs back so often, he's the instigator. Of, yeah, he's like the whispering on the shoulder, you know. Right. Like the, um, and uh, and this is something I don't know if you guys noticed this. I completely did not notice this at the end. Um, she's been letting on fire. The living room's in flames, uh, and they pan. They show outside as as emergency vehicles are coming. That's not their house that they've been in the whole time. That is a different house. So you're mm-hmm. like oh is this the before incident that we're now watching and this is where it gets super european because no american film would try to to fuck with our mind this way in a way that they're like they're not even gonna notice this (laughs) like wait till reddit gets a hold of this movie um so so yeah so that's very interesting because then it changes the whole concept then we don't really know what Mm. happened we assume she's in flames and dead um, and the last scene is really interesting. It's it's the two, um, we don't even see the kids really, but it's the two people running through the corn. You just see the corn move, which mirrors the beginning of the film where the two brothers are, are playing sort of a weird hide and seek game in the corn. And then they come out and the mom is walking towards them and it just shows all three of them together. So who knows if that means, okay, well now the other son is dead and the mom's dead. They were both in this new fire and now they're all together. We don't know, there's no real, I don't find that there's a point in guessing. It's like either you just choose your what you want to yeah. be. And I mean, I took it like it, it felt like he was just adding her to his like imaginary, group. you know, imaginary yeah. universe. Yeah, um, you know, and not not her, but like his like perfect version of her. Right. Exactly. <laughs> the pre- she, she yeah. yeah, like she was like you know like well dressed and you know happy and um, you know you know smiling yeah right like right she doesn't want to see the sign i mean so here's a question tad so um what did you think about the uh we see we see elias wake up a lot after scenes um and the time that it became really apparent to me is the scene where both brothers are watching and the mother's it's at night and the mother is walking out in her nightgown still bandaged up because she keeps putting them back on right for for half the movie into the woods and then she gets into the woods strips naked and then she does this spooky head thing which we actually did in the short film the spooky head thing i was like hey i remember the spooky head thing tad himself did the spooky head thing in a short film we we did um but she does that and then uh you're like oh this is getting supernatural but then elias wakes up and we Mm. assume it's a dream but then I realized he wakes up a lot in this movie. And does that mean the scene beforehand was also partly a dream? Because sometimes they are. He cuts the mother open at one point, or his brother mm-hmm. Lucas does, and um, cockroaches come out, right? And we, we know that's a dream because she is all in one piece uh, in yeah. the morning. So I don't know. What was your take on that, Tad? Well, aside from the fact that um, it gave me flashbacks of when I had a sore neck for a week after doing the spooky head thing, <laughs> uh, as as it as it went on i realized that uh, i think there were a lot of indications that the child probably already had some sociopathic tendencies before the events of this movie and 
it's almost like the the movie was showing him prep himself you know you know dancing mm. through corpses catching animals i the the whole cat thing was weird but at the same time it didn't seem malicious that he was trying to kind of like nurse the cat and then the cat just mm -hmm. kind of just died yeah the cat is one there that that's what they find when they go in the crypt um there's a cat laying there and you get the impression right away that the cat is sick because it's hiding number one yeah. which is what cats will do and it lets them pick it up and take it home and it doesn't look i mean it, it's it's a real life cat so clearly it's fine like it was not sick at the time um but you get the impression it's sick and then they find it um having run away before because they they seem afraid that the mom's gonna find it although she supposedly loves animals right um which is one of their their cues like Anyway, he, he dies, and then they do this weird thing. We're gonna go back, but they do this weird thing where they put, as like to get back at the mom or to somehow trigger her, they take a an aquarium they have for whatever reason, put it, oh, it's the aquarium that all the cockroaches are in because the kids yeah. have these hissing cockroaches as pets and there's like hundreds of them, that's just disturbing. Um, and they empty it out and then they put the cat in what we assume is formaldehyde, some chemical, because I assume it's not gasoline, it would have evaporated, the mother would never leave that in the house, but it's some sort of flammable liquid and they put the cat in it and the cat is just, the corpse of the cat is just floating in this thing. And it's disturbing, it's not, like you said, Ted, it doesn't seem malicious really, the cat is dead and they tried to care for the cat, like it's not a, it's not like they murdered the cat, which is the fear in this movie the whole time. I'm like, please don't kill the cat. Like, this is not, <laughs> the cat died. And then they put it in this thing. And the mom, also very depressed, we assume, Jeff, just leaves it there. It's like, I fucking can't deal with this, right? Um, it's a weird image, the whole thing. Like, and then once this happens, and I'm, I'm ranting because this is such a strange moment that really is like at the core, I think, of this movie. Like, that's sort of a turning point. Um, the mom is like, fine, you want to play this game? She doesn't say that, but that's the impression. She goes upstairs, gets where they put the cockroaches in a jar and dumps a bunch of the, like a handful in the water. And that drives the kids out to try and save them. Right. Um, and it's a weird thing because one, we've been told that she loves animals. And while some people wouldn't say cockroaches are animals, they're big enough to be able to tell when they don't want to drown. Okay. I don't know what you're saying. So that's, that's a weird moment. Um, but it also is like indicative of this push and pull game that they're playing the whole movie. Like the mother doesn't just want to come out and communicate anything. And the kids don't want to come out and communicate anything. And so what happens instead is it just gives, you know, uh, Ilias free reign for his, his other self, his brother to sort of start guiding events. Um, and the mother's sort of checked out and her behavior, her erratic behavior, which is clearly different than what she was before all this happened, um, is is just driving that on. And you just watch it get worse and worse. And it's it has such a feeling of discomfort as you view it. Mm -hmm. um, and Jeff, I don't know if you if you felt that way too. Like you watch it, like this is really good, but I'm I'm getting sort of nauseous with tension. Like it yeah, can only it, get worse. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, I mean that's like the sign of a good thriller right make you make you as uncomfortable as possible without making you leave the room right um uh so you know i i i agree like it, it felt very real it felt like very plausible you know as like this woman that's you know clearly sick uh who has you know maybe is unable to like face the same problem that the the kid is and you know so they're they're both going through trauma and you know they need some outside help clearly uh, and for some reason it's not there like who's who's taking care of this kid before she sh like returned right. 
Like right. I don't like I don't Just actually understand. Himself. Yeah, like what was going on there? Like we, clearly they needed some help. We kind of assume that maybe the dad was there because in the beginning they're playing a video game on his phone, and she's like, "No, for whatever reason, we don't know why she's so against this." Um, but she says no, and they're like, "Well, dad," and she goes, "No." I don't, you know, whatever, like dad's not here or whatever. Um, so we can assume that. And maybe then he left because he knew she was coming back, but it just gives you an uncomfortable feeling, right? Because it, especially, especially in, I feel like the U.S., I think this is probably, I would guess a U.S. thing where it's very odd to see young kids out by themselves in, not in nature, but in nature that is so potentially dangerous. Like they're going under like or underpasses in the beginning and they're floating on lakes by themselves. Um, especially when you find out that one of the kids has died, you're like, yeah. this is just a weird, a, and a through weird neglect. Potentially an accident that was caused by one of them. You know, it right. is, yeah, there's, there's does seem to be something missing there. Um, and here's an interesting thing. Um, that I that I read, which is fascinating, is uh, and this is by the way, I thought the kids did a very good job. It's their debut film, um, mm -hmm. and oh, wow. uh, they didn't have a huge amount of lines, but everything is acted physically, and they do a lot of very nuanced acting because they just observe a lot and and don't show emotion. But then when they do, I found it very realistic. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't forced, like. Um, in one of the later scenes when the mom's, her lips been cut, she's bleeding. They've actually, like they burned a cockroach with a magnifying glass, they burned her cheek, which is a disturbing scene. Um, and and I think it's Elias is like, mom, tell us, you know, prove you're our mother. Cause usually they're asking, tell us where our mother is. Um, and then they say, prove you're our mother. And she basically, you assume she doesn't. Right, like she said, he says, "What's Lucas's favorite song?" And she says a song, which I don't know what the song was, but it was yeah, apparently was not the right answer. Some um, cultural element right. we were missing, yeah. So, um, and, and that's like basically the breaking point, right? Like that's when the kids no longer bother. At, they ask her, but it's sort of, <laughs> it's really well. If you're not going to tell us where your mother is, I guess we'll kill you. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I don't exactly remember. Oh, what I was going to say was, is it turns out so the cast did not get the script period they were told the line like i assume they were told the lines in the scenes and this was fascinating to me and i think that this has probably had an interesting effect this film was filmed sequentially mm. um it was not filmed out of sequence so we actually see oh. the progression um of these characters and i wonder especially to first time we or first time film actors they may have acted before in other, mm. in other mediums but if that helped the yeah. kids especially with this because they could follow a narrative so okay so there's actually a couple situations where um like for example when uh mutter dragged um elias up to the bathroom or whatever room to film this like telling him not to talk to his brother normally in these types of things they won't show like the you know, the, like, I guess the manifestation, the, the, um, uh, you know, the hallucination of mm -hmm. the other character, but he was outside of that room, like slamming on the door. Right. Um, and that was the perspective that we had, which kind of like almost is like a way of saying like, this isn't how that movie is, is played mm -hmm. out. Like there was just certain things that they did, um, 
playing like kind of against the normal rules as to like mm -hmm. how you you, uh, you you play out like hallucinations. I think two fight club rules, you could say. Yeah. Fight club <laughs> rules. Well, and there's so there's a lot of um, other films, and everyone that comes to mind is a foreign film, so maybe that's part of it, except for um, except for Fight Club. Um, I saw one. If you go on IMDb, it's always interesting to see other people's opinions. So I like doing it before coming into a discussion like this. And one is somebody said this is um, strikingly similar to the Korean film A Tale of Two Sisters. I think it's from like 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. Um, I love that film. And I would hazard to say it's actually not like it at all, except for the fact that it's about sis, uh, siblings and one of them is not there. Um, and, but otherwise, but that's, to me, that's actually a trope, especially with twins that we get when we have twins in a story um, or siblings in a story. There's a, a great 90s um, Two-Face comic miniseries. Um, uh, I can't, I don't care if Alan Grant or Grant Morrison, I can't remember who wrote it, but it was fantastic where Two-Face ends up having had a brother that died in a fire and that's the nasty part of his brain. Um, there's some great things like that. Um, the, the idea that people, that, that the, uh, we're seeing the hallucination side of it. So it's tricking us into thinking that, that what the delusional character thinks is real is real. Uh, we see that in, um, in, in, in high tension, the French hot, hot tension, uh, which is a phenomenal film and sort mm. of like this, but with a really gore slasher edge, but a very good, very disturbing film um, by uh, Alexander Aha or Aja. I don't know. He pronounces the J, uh, mm. but, but one of the, the new godfathers of gore uh, from a few years back. Really, really fantastic film. But they do that as well. And that brings me to my one complaint, I guess, with this film. And I, I did enjoy it. I'm glad I watched it. But I waited a long time to see this movie because the trailers and the, the imagery they chose to go with, like the poster and everything, it's very strong, very well done, is... I was actually a little disappointed with the resolution because it was actually more pedestrian than I kind of thought it might be. Um, and mm. the reason I say that is because the idea of someone actually taking over, trying to usurp the life of another person, um, to me is less trod on than uh, the sort of fake out, this person's not here, or this person can't see this person, or that sort of thing. Not that it's a bad step, um, it was totally well planned out, I feel, and I feel like it was a strong payoff. But to me, the idea that if we had actually been brought around to, yes, it's the mom, and then it turned out not to be the mom, mm. because we have, frankly, every indication that the kids have is pretty strong. She's checked out enough that she doesn't recognize they're talking about her when they describe when, yeah, her to a T in the beginning of the game. film. Yeah. She looks mostly like her, but it's after a facial surgery, so she's puffy. She's drawing on the beauty mark. Like, those are really good red herrings, and it would have actually been nice if they'd done a double back and mm. it, it hadn't been her. Um, and also, it would have been interesting because maybe we could have, there just could have been something a little less pedestrian than someone, a delusional person. Um, that, that sort of disappointed me a little bit. Um, it reminds me of um, uh, the film Gamer del Toro produced, which is a great film, The Orphanage, uh, another foreign film, of course. Um, it's, it's not that the resolution and the film wasn't great, but when it turns out that it's haunted because kids were killed, you're like, well, okay, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I go see horror movies. I kind of expected that would be the case. Um, mm. It didn't break my expectation. So while I was surprised to find out that Lucas was actually dead, and it was fun piecing together. I think the intricacies of the details of trying to piece together what actually happened adds a great deal of interest. 
um, but the actual um, reality of the situation itself was less interesting than a potential situation. And I feel like yeah. there are films that fall prey to that. You know, it's very clever, but it wasn't as interesting as what I was hoping. I don't know if anybody else had a similar vibe. I, I mean, I kind of get where you're coming from on this one. Like that, now you're 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 playing my role of yes, rewriting exactly. the film. Yes. <laughs> um, I, th this one was, and, and maybe I don't watch enough of this type of film, um, so that this this didn't feel redundant to me, um, or didn't uh, didn't feel like it was earned. But like, I don't know. Like, there's like a lot of things where you're like, oh, a mother couldn't possibly act like that. Like, yeah. why would she drag her son into this room and then yeah. like tell tell her not to talk to her brother? Like, yeah, you couldn't possibly have a reason for doing that. Yeah. And then it comes through that it's like, oh, okay, that kind of makes sense. Right. She doesn't do it well. It's but not it, a, there's it's like, not a it, nice it, thing. Yeah, but it's like, it makes sense that she's like, okay, I, I don't know how to deal with this. You know, just stop. You know, mm. stop talking to your brother. Like, he doesn't yeah. exist. Um, but like I, I don't know I thought there was enough stuff in there like enough details and enough things that uh, I think it works yeah and like I love that there's no music in this movie the yeah. sets were amazing the sets were um, stunning it, and you really like if you think about it, you go to like a, like a producer and like yo I want to make this movie okay it's gonna it's gonna have two kids and a mother there's gonna be almost no dialogue I'm not gonna put a soundtrack over it we're just gonna have these two children uh, just carry this whole thing. You know, it's just like sold. I'm gonna buy that. It's yep. just like it. It seems it seems implausible, but uh, I, I think that maybe is the beauty of foreign film is is uh, you know the the gates to entry are maybe a little bit less. Um, they don't they don't need to, the movie to perform as well to uh, you know well, to, to have it have it go. I and it, what's interesting to me is um. Uh, as you said that, I think, I wonder, this movie is of course beautiful and film is expensive in general to shoot on, especially compared to digital, but I feel like they were able to do so much with so little. Um, mm -hmm. Before before we do these, I always make cheat sheets, right? Which have, you know, a little bit of background on the cast and crew. And I love movies like this because it takes me, you know, five minutes because there are really, there's a couple of other people in this film, but really it's just, um, the two brothers whose actual names are Lucas and Elias. And, yeah, that was the creepiest thing in the whole I film. I know. Why right. did you name them the same? Because you didn't just happen to find two twins that were the same names as the twins in your script. Well, no, probably, they wrote their names into the script for some It was reason. probably easier. They didn't have, they could respond to their own names and it, it felt more natural that way. Yeah, they or they were lazy. It's, Who knows? It's creepy. Just feel bad for the kids because they get older, they'll have the same names and now there's this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at you, killer. delightful little killers. <laughs> it, it makes me, it reminded me when you said that though, I'm like, you use what you have, right? And obviously yeah. if you have access to something like this beautiful house in countryside, like you're going to use it um, if you're smart. And I always think of, whenever I think of that, I always think of um, David um, Dakota or Dukatu, I never know how to pronounce his name, but he's a director. Mm -hmm. He's worked a lot with uh, Full Moon films and and uh, roger corman and such um we'll get into full moon films again with the next film but he's done several sort of family films and they take place in the same house that have there's been sort of quote i guess you would say sexy movies and gay themed sexy movies in and um and he reuses it because it's a beautiful house with a great you know pool yard like a yard with a pool and front yard and all this stuff totally understand why he uses it again but it's funny because in that case you see the decor is identical 
to each of the films. So like if you watch, um, and both of these have been done by Rift Tracks, which is, I will hazard to say, the only way to really watch these because they are tough to get through otherwise, uh, is there, there is a wooden statue, like a sculpture that is essentially two tines on a piece of like smoothed wood that are sort of like legs and it has stiletto heeled red leather or pleather boots on it and it's bizarre to see a kids movie or a family film where no one is addressing this insane sexualized sculpture of wood just a side note <laughs> I mean, but that's on a similar track to like the set in this movie. Mm -hmm. There is some pretty crazy artwork. On there the is. It's a great you house, know? right? Like it's I would burn awesome someone house, alive for that but house. It's like very <laughs> ominous yeah. artwork. These shadowy figures, um, almost like are they really there? Or are they not? Mm -hmm. Like are they? Are they family portraits of some sense, or just artistic statements, or? Like what? They're very mysterious and they're everywhere in the house and they're looming large over the play um, of the actors themselves. There's, um, it, it makes me, like if you look at, um, it's sort of like uh, the 2019 Best Picture winner, Parasite, you know, the Korean film, the house is beautiful. And that house, it, this one is like that on steroids. It's so modern but it's also mid-century modern. There's curves. The, the two kids are, are sitting together at one point in, near the beginning, um, having like a burping contest in these um, clear lucite hanging bulb chairs in the living room, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's so bizarre. They're like Christmas ornaments that you sit in, you know what I mean? Um, and it just, it adds something to the film that if they just filmed it in an apartment complex, which you could do, the, the script doesn't require any of the, these accoutrements, you know, um, it, it wouldn't have had the same effect because it is every, uh, someone I know said this about the film um, uh, Road to Perdition with Tom Hanks, and I think it's true. Every single frame from this movie could be framed and put on a wall. It's beautifully composed uh, and the quality is very high. And I think that that adds to this sort of, uh, you get lost in the picture and it carries you even though what's happening on screen is very slow. And I say slow because I think it is slow. I think that there's a lot of, it's not filler, but it forces you as the viewer to pay attention to the most minute details because you sit with these people in silence for minutes on end. Um, I don't know there's if- There's no distractions. Yeah, it's sort of like yoga. My wife is a yoga teacher, and I said that way. It's like sit with it. Don't if your mind drifts, bring it back. And I'm always like, Ugh. my ADD brain is like trying to do. I'm trying to plan my next, you know, two weeks out. You know, in every thirty seconds that I sit there. Tad, I don't know. Like you said, you said you had a hard time because it's very uh, sort of indicative of those late '90s, early 2000s indie films that were so the rage for a while they were the rage and it um i'm not gonna get into the rant on how i think the science of sleep was the most bullshit film i ever watched in history because it did the same tricks and uh the resolution was equally as uh infuriating to me actually no it was way more infuriating than this movie this movie actually had a resolution where i was like okay so the moral of the story is the kids burn the family and then they get to be reunited yay <laughs> um other than that, yeah, like I, like I was saying before, um, the whole movie is 
you don't you kind of maybe you realize it maybe Mandy realized it way before than I did but the whole movie is basically watching the kid have constant psychotic breaks mm. which is which you mentioned with the dreams and all that and good misdirection I gotta say because uh, I, I didn't realize I was watching a, a nine-year-old psychotic breaks throughout the entire movie and I mean, we've, we've seen films like this before. With, it is exactly what you said. It is a huge misdirect. It's the same thing that, that jokes the world over, uh, or at least mostly the Western world over, utilize, which is we're paying attention to something else entirely. And so we miss something that has a lot of cues along the way. You know, identity was a sort of more Americanized example of that, right? Like the, we think that um, the, it's this serial killer killing all these people. And then we find out that it's literally one personality killing other personalities in the head of a madman so it's a spoiler alert so it's a <laughs> it, it works and i think this film i think jeff i think you're right i think the details make the difference here and elevate it from something mm -hmm. that's a one-trick pony to a film that we could have a much longer discussion about absolutely yeah i mean i, th I think with, without the details like the yeah the, th the, the whole film is just uh, a boring film watching some kids you know do psychotic things uh but there are just it's like a ping pong right like i think these really good like you know it, it, you really like give like two options it's like oh are the uh is this is this really their mom like clearly not she's not being very mom-like and then oh these kids are doing psychotic things and then oh then mom's not being very mom-like and then oh these kids are being like psychotic. so it's kind of you you bounce back and forth between these two ideas oh is it really their mom are these kids crazy? Is it really their mom? These kids crazy. And then the final thing is, oh, the kid's crazy, but there's only one of them. So it's it, yeah. you kind of ping pong back and forth between these two ideas. And then there's a third idea that they introduce. And it's like, oh, yeah, everything that happened previous to this makes perfect sense. Um, I think that there were maybe enough clues that you could kind of get mostly there. I don't think you could maybe say for certainty based mm -hmm. on the clues. Is like, that sweet what spot? The where yeah. it's like you get enough that you don't feel cheated, but you yeah. didn't get enough that you got super bored unless you're a genius like Mandy. But exactly. well, here's the thing. <laughs> the, the biggest clue is the one that they open the film with, right? Not the song. It opens with a, a song in German. Good, um, I don't know what the song is in, in German, but it ends with good night. Um, and the, then it shows before the mom gets home, right? The kids are just doing stuff. They're floating on the lake. They're going in an underpass. Well, one of the brothers always goes ahead and leaves the other one. And, um, and that sort of then you're like, oh, okay, one of them has moved on and somehow. And then, you, of course, you find out. But, but it, it's the reflection that brings that to light. It's not an obvious moment. We've forgotten because of all this other shit that's happened. Um, I also want to say, I think if you listen to this without seeing the movie, it can very easily sound like these kids are, where it turns out to be just Elias, is a, a, a mad person and none of this would be realistic. But I think that the scariest part is that it's just the next step from those kids pretend play games, right? Those imaginary games. Like if you think of the beginning to, to make it literary, if you go to the beginning of, you know, um, the adventures of Huckleberry Finn, right? The kids are all in this boys only club planning to uh, essentially murder the grownups and take all the stuff. And, um, and, you know, it's play, it's still disturbing, I think, to read, but it's sort of like, of course, they're not really going to be pirates and, and pillage and plunder and whatever. But um, that's the play. And this is one of those things where this kid is just, he's doing that, and then it go, he actually does it. It's that one step that takes you there. And it, it's just another one of those films that makes you terrified of children in certain ways. Um, 
And I think that the lack of communication is what's key because things are happening, but no one is acknowledging them between each other. And it causes this insane, it allows this insane event to happen. That's correct. Yeah. Um, well, okay. So I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, Mandy, would you recommend this film and to who? Oh, I would recommend this film as, as we've talked about already. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, I think that the actors that are in this are very talented, although they are new. Um, I would recommend it to, um, I don't know, anyone that likes psychological thrillers or is looking to become interested in like psychological thrillers because I think it's a good example of that. Um, I would have liked to see more breadcrumbs kind of sprinkled, um, pointing the finger in both directions at the kids and the mother um, being an imposter, uh, but I think that they did a really good job. All right, Tad, your take on this. I'd recommend it to parents because this is a fabulous <laughs> family movie. Absolute love in. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, who would you recommend this <laughs> film to and why? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess like to, to those that, uh, you know, are like me and are like, oh, I hate horror films. And then you know, we're reminded of this, this genre that's, that's more about the kind of the psychological and mental kind of torment um, that, uh, that's actually really interesting rather than kind of going for shock value. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a lovely film. I think, you know, just, just for the sets, man, just see, some, I, I assume there's just Australian or uh, Austrian uh, countryside and, you know, buildings like yeah, just go for that. There's like a street that they clear out in one scene. Like I, I, I feel like this must be the way like filmmaking is in some of these countries. Is they're so excited about a film being made in their town, they're like, "Yep, we'll clear the streets of everything. All like all dirt, <laughs> like, yes. all cars, all people. <laughs> Everything's gone. Shoot your movie." Um, I don't know. It's it just it, it creates like this really um, interesting, like we said, desolate. Um, you know, empty world that's filled with zero music except for a dude with an accordion walking down that exact street that I was talking about. Yeah, we didn't mention that, but that's a weird moment. He has like a limp and he's the only one there, but anyway. Yeah, so it's it's like, yeah, it's just, there's so many details in this movie. It's It really is a great movie. Um, you know, whether whether the, the end uh, really does it for you or not. Um, and that goes to me, I guess. Uh, I guess... We should mention, by the way, um, the mother, uh, Mutter, is mother, uh, is Suzanne Weiss, who um, is a phenomenal actress. And she uh, also apparently speaks English fluently with no accent. So that's impressive. Um, But she's phenomenal in this. And she acts most of her role wrapped in gauze and just her head movements. The first time she turns around to look at the kids. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, stirring and she she does very well with the limited um the limited lines so i would recommend this film to anyone who uh wants a very well-crafted film that will make them uncomfortable um because sometimes those are those are hard to choose like you have to uh you just have to gear yourself up and go well i'm just gonna start it and watch it um and uh even in retrospect especially for gorehounds like there isn't actually that much violence in the film but it's very visceral and the dread of it is very strong. And I think that that's sort of what um, really, really will affect people. So I recommend anyone looking to- It's effective when it happens, very effective. Very much so. So uh, kudos 
kudos and check out the lodge their next film as well uh so this next movie guys this movie this movie this is this is definitely this is the epitome of a cult film uh in my opinion if i were someone to say what's a cult movie that i'd be like oh well that they haven't heard of i would say head of the family from 1996 um this movie is uh like i said one of the full moon uh family directed by charles band uh brother of uh, uh richard band the uh the composer who does a lot of the music for full moon uh, pictures or full moon entertainment or any number of their alternative titles and head of the family is such a weird movie it's billed as a comedy horror and i think that's accurate it does not take itself seriously um there is there's no gore well there's a little bit of special effects blood and surgery things but the the general plot could have been in any number of movies but with one exception there is a family of bizarre freaks <laughs> as side characters and the plot is is uh, this person uh played by blake adams named lance um and uh his girlfriend loretta played by jacqueline lovell uh they're having an affair uh jacqueline is married to uh, another person who is a a drug dealing biker that is a dangerous dude well she wants lance to kill him and then they can be together and this is somewhere in the South in a small town, uh, the old South kind of thing. And uh, so Blake's like, I, I can't really kill anybody. But then he witnesses this family um, of, of, of weirdos. The, what are they? The stack, stack houses, I think. Yeah. Um, they're, uh, they're five siblings, right? Uh, Otis, played by Bob Shaw, who is a very big guy uh, and, a, and a great actor. He was Thorg and Jim Cotta for... Uh, martial arts fans. He was also uh, in, a, in a ton of other movies all the way up through 96 uh, from the 70s. He is the big muscle guy who's not very smart. You have uh, Ernestina, who is um, played by Alexandria Quinn, an adult film actress with, uh, well, it's not a surprise. Uh, she's very pretty. And then you have, um, uh, let's see, uh, Wheeler, played by James Jones, who has these Disturb. He wears glasses, and then when they take him off, he has this reveal. He has giant bulging eyes that never close, and he can hear like super well. Like that's his superpower. And then you have the head of the family, the titular head of the family, um, who is uh, played by J. W. Para, uh, and the character's name is Myron, and he's a head with arms and legs who is wheelchair bound. Um, the physical effects are pretty good. They're classic, all practical effects, no 3D, and um, the Myron, the head of the household, is having the family uh, controlled via telekinetic ability to steal people off the road and do these bizarre surgeries on them. And then he keeps them in the basement when they're basically uh, vegetables or otherwise uh, no longer capable of, of doing any harm to anything. And his entire plan, it sounds like, is to get his head put in a body, although later he says it's to rule the world. So who knows? Um, the gist of it is that Blake blackmails them because he sees them steal kidnap someone he blackmails them to get rid of this biker dude and then he doesn't stop there he continues to blackmail them uh for money and then uh things go south when the family then kidnaps him and his girlfriend loretta and uh and sort of have a big hullabaloo sounds very complicated it's really not i'm just not explaining it on point it is um 
a couple who bumps off uh, the woman's husband and then gets in trouble because they blackmail this family of uh, superhuman mutants. And uh, those mutants then steal them and are like, well, we're going to spare man on you. Did I do that justice at all? I think you got all the points. Okay. There's, there's, I, the reason I struggle with this one is because there's a lot of weird little things here and there. Um, but we're going to jump right into it. Jeff, what did you think of this film? Um, there was like no likable character in it, first yeah. of all. So it's just, it's just a film of unlikable people, which you can't make a horror film. Like it's not a horror film, first of all, but you can't make a horror film without a likable character because you have to have somebody that you're like, oh, I don't want these horrible things to happen to. Um, so it's like all the characters are like, eh, they get mutilated, whatever. They're all fucking terrible. Um, but uh, I thought the interplay between the big head and the other asshole that was like our main character, I guess, was interesting. Um, it, they did the, they do this weird thing though, where he's like the 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 other asshole is like uh, not like not smart. Like everybody's like constantly being like, oh, you're a dumbass. But like he's very clearly intelligent. Like everything mm -hmm. that he does is like, you know, he it's it really is like a battle of wits between the big brain and this yes. guy. You're talking about Blake, um, the the black yeah, mailer. Blake, yeah, yeah, the black or Lance, mailer. Blake Adams, Lance. Sure, yeah, 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 Lance, yeah, yeah. Anyways, so I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Uh, it just it's just so weird when like you have a movie like this where like it's the tension is supposed to be built off of you liking somebody and not wanting them to like die or like. You know, you want you want some side to win. In this case, it's kind of like everybody's horrible, so I don't care. Um, Interesting. I, so here's my take on that. I actually don't think they are they are all terrible. Terrible. You're totally right on that. But I don't think you have to have someone um, to like, sort of because it's a morality play. And you know what it plays out to me is it plays out like a Tales from the Crypt episode. In those mm -hmm. episodes, your main character who you're following is usually a bad person. Um, yeah. And they usually get their comeuppance. It's more instead of you have somebody to root for you're waiting for someone to get punished. And, and that's the flip side of the coin is uh, it's, it's more like they have to have their due. Um, Tad, what's your take on it? All right, now we're in a movie that's much more up the cult and classic alley. Um, so <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing Jeff said. I, think, I thought that the dialogue between Blake and, uh, what's his, Myron? Myron. Yes. I thought the dialogue between them was fantastic. And I feel like Myron was the only one that a script was written for and everything else was just ad lib, which I, you know, my, you know me, I love that. I love a if, if, if a actor can really ad lib well, I think it works better than a script ever would. Um, <laughs> it's one of those things I, I looked at this and kind of, I got the vibes of bad channels just sure. from sort of the visuals. And, and the fact that I definitely prefer a movie that has a lot of uh, over-the-top characters in them. It really keeps me engaged. Um, I had so many moments where I was just like, what is the point of this? Right. Like, like 30 minutes of the movie goes by and I'm like, what is the plot of this movie? Well, let's, I mean, let's start with this because we get, <laughs> I'm going to play a clip. Um, and this is between Blake, who is, for lack of anyone else, the, the the protagonist of the film, right? He's the one that's, he's trying to best Myron and this group of um, of, of siblings, because they're all siblings, and Myron says they're actually from the same egg, right? They're, they're supposed to be twins, but nature had something else in mind, and they all became these weird superhuman people, uh, which he controls. So this is when um, 
uh, Lance has figured out that he can blackmail uh, the the stack poles. That's the name. The stack poles to do what what he wants, which is bump off this guy. He goes in and he's excited because he owns or runs. I don't know if he owns it, but he runs this diner. And uh, he goes and he talks to his uh, his one staff member that we see regularly. This this sort of regular diner lady like she's probably played a diner in 30 movie uh, a diner waitress in 30 movies and i would hazard to say she's the good person in this film the one person you're, and you're here, correct here we go this is this is her and him here in the city hell have you been i ain't seen you since the day before yesterday not to worry susie my dear oh we're on my backside me and ray been running this place alone shoot lance i thought somebody was putting a line on what was left of you well, I just had a little business to attend to out of town. Very important business. It's going to make all the difference. Everything's going to be peaches and cream from here on out. Perfect timing. See, that's exactly what I was looking for. Lance, didn't you mess with them stack fools? Mess with them? <laughs> I ain't going to mess with them, huh? It's business. And and uh, the... The actress playing Susie is Vicki Skinner, who's been in a handful of movies, probably most interesting, Fugitive Rage in 1996, uh, before, uh, right before this film, I believe. And, uh, and that sets the tone, right? Like, to me, it literally, you know, if you've never seen a full moon pictures film, which, uh, as Tad mentioned, um, uh, Bad Channels is another one of, uh, it is this sort of like, doo -doo -doo, like a little bit of goofy, often, um, with with their bizarre, like it's definitely a film for adults, but it's a film for adults that people who watch Pee Wee's Playhouse would enjoy, um, if I'm anything to go by. Uh, and, it, and it gives that sort of, everyone has the Southern charm, but they're all, it's all that like, oh, they're trying to escape the trailer park. And again, I'm using that as an example. I'm not dissing anyone who lives in a trailer or mobile home. I yearn for the day when I can afford a mobile home. Okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm saying that right now. But that's sort of the vibe of that. And, and the quality of the writing is, is sort of on par with that. Some are pretty good lines. Others are just okay. Tad, I see what you're saying. Some of it's pretty stilted, though. So I think it was written down, but I don't think people had a great amount of time to memorize it. I'm, I may just be guessing on that. Mandy, what's your take on this film? Uh, I really love the tone that was set by the opening credit music over the house. Yeah. Is my audio okay, by the way? Because my connection is... It's okay. It's a little choppy, but um, might do. Okay. Okay, great. Um, my, my computer keeps warning me that it's not great. So anyway, um, I really love the opening music just being like just so goofy. Um, and like the still shot of this house, I think it's supposed to look ominous, but honestly just looks like a house in Massachusetts to me. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I'm like, that could be my neighbors. And that's not that creepy. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was surprised by all of just the gratuitous sex yeah. of like the two like characters i was like wait what oh okay i guess that's happening like there's not a lot of gore but they're just gonna go for like because you, you don't expect it right because it's sort of a goofy movie like it feels like you could watch it with mm -hmm. your kids except for the yeah. huge amount of nudity and sex <laughs> yeah you know what, Nate, this is uh, this like the soft core poor nature <laughs> yeah basically and i'm surprised that nobody else mentioned that yet because there's a lot of it i yeah i i haven't so so the one basically 
the only woman who is nude um, in this film regularly and nude a lot of this film. I think it's almost every scene except for the first scene. Right, <laughs> is Jacqueline Lovell. And um, I actually think she is probably next to um, uh, J.W. Para, who plays Myron, the head in the chair. I think she's the strongest actress. She's actually quite mm -hmm. good. Uh, she brings, especially when she mugs, like she has to do facial expressions, especially near the end when she's arguing with, with uh, her, her at the time boyfriend. Um, but she actually, her career prior to acting was primarily nude modeling. So she was actually um, uh, the number one nude model in 95. She was in, in 1996 when this movie came out, she'd been in over 150 magazines, like everything from Playboy to Penthouse and a good jillion others. Um, so she really, she had a career prior to this and it was a nudity. And so I think that that was uh, really made clear in this film um, because she actually is quite comfortable doing, at least she seems that way, who knows personally, but she seems very comfortable doing mm -hmm. full scenes nude, which I think a lot of people, uh, I certainly wouldn't be. Um, and, and I think that that's interesting. I also think it's interesting that she uh, has, she was quoted as a, uh, saying, I'm sick and tired of doing movies where they just want a bunch of love scenes. It's getting kind of old. I feel like I've done my share. Um, she started turning those down. I don't know if that's true, looking at her, her, her biography, um, of, or her bibliography of, of films. Um, but regardless, she's beautiful. She can do what she wants. I think she acted the part really well, whether or not they had her nude or not. She could have not been nude for just about, she could have not been nude for the entire film, to be honest. Um, they could have done the sex scenes mostly clothed. It would have been fine. Um, or but, just gotten rid of like most of them. Well, there's sort, of, sort of the goofy humor, right? Because yeah. when when they're planning what to do about her husband, um, her, her character and Blake Adams' character, they're doing it literally while they're having sex in the break room or in the storeroom mm -hmm. of the thing, and it's comical, right? Because you they're having sex on on you know a, a prep table or something. And then it just, uh, it's just shot like a typical scene. There's a master shot and then two over the shoulder shots and they're both just bouncing up and down. At many points, clearly not even next to each other. Like it's, you know, and that's not to say that the sex isn't sort of realistic. Like I have to say, at least in this film, when people have sex, they're at least their parts are lined up. Is that weird to say? Because so often, especially in, especially in like theater films, I'm watching, like, why even have a, a love scene if they can't even be in the same, like, time zone? What is happening here, you know? I'm like, I didn't know you could get pregnant with your belly buttons. I didn't know that happened, but apparently, according to Hollywood, that's what happened. So, well, it's not necessary. Um, I'm sure that it caused this movie to be rented more than a few times, which was the goal of, of these films, these uh, direct-to-video films. So I think we, we kind of know why it's there. Um, yeah. And I think, totally. that, and I think Jacqueline Lovell did a great job with it. My only argument is, I'm like, don't, don't. She doesn't have to have clothes on, but Blake Adams should also be nude more often. Like he has one scene where he's nude in the bed with her, um, and he's also an attractive looking guy. They they cast attractive people in this movie opposite um, the Stackpoles, and uh, it just you know equality. That's all I'm saying. People take everyone's clothes off. Sure. Um, so yeah, Everything. and and going into this film, um, I was actually a little surprised that um, Alexandria Quinn, who plays the, the, the sexy stack pole, Ernestina, was not the one to do the vast majority of the nude scenes. Um, not that she has to, but um, she's the one who is uh, a, a really prolific um, 
adult film actress. I think her last one was in 2012. Uh, My Mommy Bangs Brothers 2. So it, Nate does his research. Here, here's the thing that, oh, this is the best part ever. And I love her for this. I know I don't know Alexandria Quinn personally, but it made me so happy to be going through her really, really like massively um, extensive adult film list. And then her, her third from last one in 2010, she was uh, the voice of Twisting Girl in Scooby-Doo Curse of the Lake Monster. That made <laughs> everything worth it. And I, rec- I respect her because if I had a chance, if I were an adult film, I would then want to be in a Scooby-Doo movie. And that's not even a joke. It sounds like a joke. That would be super awesome to me. No, so. that's, how you, that's how you butter Nate up is uh, have anything to do with Scooby-Doo and that's totally. how you're sold. Totally. Like absolutely. Me and Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Ninja Turtles. And, uh, and, and, and interesting you mentioned that because according to the makers of this, I don't know whether it was, uh, I assume it was Charles Band who said this, um, but the films that inspired the feel and vibe for this were in fact uh, Ninja Turtles. Um, damn it. And I know every single time. How does time this keep happening? Because Ninja Turtles is unbelievably brilliant, but it was inspired by the monsters in Ninja Turtles. And that makes sense because yeah, the monsters like... The, you know, the stack poles clearly have that monster vibe. I also am pretty sure that there's a Hills Have Eyes vibe here because yeah. the Hills Have Eyes, for anyone who hasn't seen that, or the remake, which is quite terrifying and uncomfortable, very well done, also an Alexander Aha film. Uh, we mentioned him last time. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's about a town of presumably nuclear mutated people who hunt people who travel cross country through their desert. Very disturbing. Uh, and... Uh, Michael Berryman was in the original and I met him. Very interesting guy. So back to the point, back to things everyone can relate to. This movie is super goofy. It's intended to be sort of, I think, a late night um, showtime sort of movie. It's got a lot of nudity, but it also has some comedy. And, you know, uh, if you get tired of the sex, well, it's, it's got weird, freaky monsters in it. This is the movie that, uh, that, uh, my mom's a werewolf wishes it was, but couldn't be. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, in that, in, in my mom's a werewolf, the, the, the sexual per- perversion is just implied. Um, and this one, it's, it's, in this one, it's actually tamer because it's so in your face and out in the open, I think. Um, let's listen to the scene. And we've mentioned this, but J.W. Para, who plays Myron, the head, who has tons of, I mean, he's, he's more makeup effects than man. Um, he does an awesome job and his voice, I think, sells it 100%. This is him explaining to Lance's, to the character of Lance, um, when he tries to blackmail him, their whole deal. There we go. The holy shit, them some big eyes, brother. You've met my brothers and my sister, Mr. Bogan. I don't believe we've ever met. I kind of figured I'd remembered if we had. No doubt. My name is Myron Stackpool. I'm the, pardon the expression, the head of the family. As you have perhaps noted, we Stackpools all have our uh, peculiarities. We're quadruplets, you know, all born from the same egg. Theoretically, we should be identical, but well, strange things do happen. No shit. Do you know what you're looking at, Mr. Bogan? Escapees from a freak show? You're looking at a unique biological phenomenon. 
four genetically linked beings each endowed with a share of normal abilities enhanced to almost supernatural proportions. Otis, many times stronger than any normal man. Wheeler with eyes sharper than an eagle's, ears like a fox, nose like a hound dog. Ernestina, well, I hardly need tell you about her special powers. As for me, well, <laughs> yeah, I should say so. Ah, so, so that I think that's a great. I mean, yes, of course, it's all exposition. There's, there's no question about that. But his voice is phenomenal, and his, I actually, and maybe this is me being ridiculous, but before this, I actually had to look to make sure that he wasn't perhaps um, a person with some sort of physical deformity. Because one, I wanted to talk about it. If so, um, but also. Um, they played it pretty well. It's giving, they gave just like, hey, you're a head with arms and legs and you have to operate an auto, uh, you know, motorized wheelchair. And he played it like that, right? He uses his arms to do the wheelchair and then his head is there. And it seems just as uncomfortable and difficult to maneuver as you would expect it would be were this really his body, right? Um, J.W. Para, he did a few movies. Uh, most recently, unfortunately, it was 1998, Craw the Seer Monster, which is kind of a great film. Um, but I want to mention that, interestingly enough, um, you might recognize on this podcast the last name Para, P-E-R-A, because uh, he's married to Penny Para, who is the casting director for uh, Batteries Not Included, uh, which, and Cocoon, and a gajillion other films. She is an incredibly prolific and fantastic casting director. So everything really is tied together here in Hollywood and uh, the surrounding uh, film empire. So... Let's talk about this, right? I don't know. One thing that 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 made me, I first off, I want there to be a sequel to this film. This film really could have a sequel, and the reason I say that is because there's so much that's not really explored. Like um, we know the Stackpools have a lot of money. Apparently, they have resources like oil and other things on their land. Um, that's why that's why Lance wants to uh, uh, wants to st- you know blackmail them. Um, and Myron's, like he said, he said, I need a body. Like, obviously, he's tired of being, like, he actually has um, those stabilizers on his head to sort of brace him against the chair, right? His head is too big. Um, he wants a body. So he's doing these experiments and the people that capture. And in the basement, as mentioned, there's a dungeon. And the dungeon has all the people that have essentially been lobotomized. There's so many, there's so much here between Myron and each of the siblings that have their own shtick uh, that you could do something with this idea uh, beyond, because really they're ancillary. They're not the leads. They're ancillary to uh, Lance and Loretta, the couple that's trying to screw them out of money, right? Um, And I don't know, that to me, when I first saw this film was a little surprising because it's almost like if Princess Bride, if the framing story was the movie about the Princess Bride and the in-between, the actual film was about the grandpa trying to get his grandson to go to sleep right? Like, it seems a little backwards. I don't think it doesn't work, but I wondered if anybody else felt that way. Mm. Um, I mean, I can see where you're coming from. Uh, I was expecting there to be, like, more monster in this mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. Like I said, I didn't mind it. I mean, I and I think something to mention that's really, I touched on it, but I think the effects are quite good in this movie. Um, 
Myron obviously is the standout. I mean, he's the only one that really has heavy duty makeup on, but I'm curious to see what this setup looks like when, uh, when, when Para's not in the head suit. Because I assumed that they had some sort of large applique that they then put on uh, and you could probably remove it. I don't know, it probably took a while. Um, maybe not RuPaul time, but you know, somewhere halfway. Uh, and, and it works. Um, Something else I was kind of surprised about is that because we've we've talked a little about the humor in this movie, right? It's goofy. Um, I'm not usually one for really goofy humor. Like, yes, I love Coneheads, but it's more on a thematic level um, and some sight gags. This one, it actually this I, I really thought it was funny. I especially thought the the um, the play scene near the end, like up to the climax, was actually quite hilarious. So the setup is, is that Lance and Loretta have been captured. Loretta, of course, actually didn't know anything about this blackmail, really, we assume. Like, she just knew that Lance was like, we're going to have money and I'm going to show you a life you've never had before. And uh, aren't you glad I killed your husband? Um, well, she gets kidnapped and Lance gets kidnapped by the stack pools because they have, they think, you know, destroyed Lance's ace in the hole, which was he had the whole story about how they kidnapped people written out and sent to a lawyer who, if he disappeared, then they would, you know, he would bring it to the media. Turns out they found out who it was, killed the guy, took the letter back. So they're all uh, captured, but they can't kill Lance because Lance says that he had another lawyer with a letter that said, hey, if this lawyer goes missing, then you bring this to the, uh, the authorities. And that goes back to Jeff even though the, the Myron is like, you're, you're an idiot. You can't possibly compete with my intelligence. He kind of is, right? Like, we don't even know if he really does have another lawyer. I think it's skeptical. He probably doesn't have another lawyer. But he's, it's, it's plausible enough that, yeah. that Myron's like, God damn it, I have to do this. So he's like, fine, I will torture your fiance, Loretta, until you tell me who this other person is, which may or may not exist. And to do this, he has... A, there's a theater in their house and he has the um, lobotomized patients of his experiments performing a play of um, the, the execution of um, Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc uh, in, in their house. And Joan of Arc is of course played by Loretta hilariously in my opinion. Um, and she has a little like collar that electrocutes her that he can use a button on his chair to shock her when she doesn't read her lines. And let's and so basically the family is sitting in the audience. Blake is there, who by the way, he's in his boxers or naked. I think he's just in a box, but we don't really know. But um he's in his boxers or whatever, being held against his will. And these people are delivering the lines very slowly on stage. And Loretta is reading these lines in the most ridiculous, goofy, like southern, you know, um dits kind of way. And her facial expressions and the whole thing she's reading it, I was laughing. I actually thought that that was a funny moment. And let's listen to this part where she's reading and getting zapped. Um, here we go. I know no rightful king, save my own king of France, Charles Vi. Ow! What? I am reading it. It's not Vi. It's V-I-I, -I, Roman numeral seven, Charles the seventh. Continue. Lance, this is all your fault. Ow! Okay, okay, Charles the seventh. And um, I know nothing of covens or of intercourse with Satan. I do as my God commands. How do you like it so far? Uh, the retard's doing a better job acting than Loretta. 
Don't worry. I'm sure she'll get into the spirit of it as the drama unfolds. Enough of thy blasphemies. So, I mean, aside from the really inappropriate use of the word retard in this day and age, um, which does fit the characters though, right? Especially since he's talking to people who have severe physical deformities. The Just watching Jacqueline Lovell's face as she's supposed to be responding to Lance is hilarious. Like they didn't, they didn't give her a line in reply to his, you know, they're better actors than Loretta. She just has to make this face. And I thought it worked totally. Like she, she really is chewing scenery in this, which is appropriate because it's ridiculous. She's like nude in a tiny little nighty being like drug around by people that are supposed to have their brains cut out. So this was my favorite part of the movie. And, um, and I thought it was nice because I feel like, you know, there are very few moments in, in films where every member of the principal class, principal cast is in one scene and has a, a role to play. Like if you look at something where there's huge cast like Avengers, there isn't a single scene where everyone has a valid part in that scene. I mean, you could argue that some of the staff pools are just there as window dressing, like Ernestina doesn't really do anything. Um, and she kind of does, right? She's doing the lights or something like that or the, the curtains, but it doesn't, you know, Loretta, Lance, and Myron and um, and uh, Bob Schott's character, uh, the big guy, are all doing something actively in that moment and playing parts that all work towards progressing the plot. And I think that should be applauded because it's just it just doesn't happen in most films. Um, you could argue that the plot is relatively simplistic in this, um, so in that and that's why it's allowed it. But I think you could also argue that fine, but if you're going to do something simplistic, do it effectively. And I do think that was effective. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. Uh, that moment felt pretty complete and like one of the, the better, probably the best cinematic moment in the film. And I think that's why. Yeah. I mean, I think any, any scene where like, like for me, like Lance and Myron were in the same room were the, were like the strong points of this film, but I, I kind of see where you're going with this and kind of like creating like a really culminating uh, you know, all the boards or all the pieces are on the board at this moment, and mm -hmm. you know it's driving the action. Um, yeah, I can feel that. This whole that whole scene played it up, and I really appreciated it. It played it up almost as if um, suddenly Lance became the hero, and it's like, oh, is he actually going to get away with this? Because he's even though he is a complete scumbag asshole, there's enough charm that you you're like, if he got away with it, I'd be like, yeah, that's okay. Um, then it turns out he really doesn't, but he got close. He got real close. And, and right, what's his downfall, right? He still goes after Ernestina, yep. right? He's like, who, who seduced him, we assume through Myron, which is really creepy because you're like, is Myron controlling her? That's disturbing. <laughs> um, seduces him before he gets abducted. And, uh, and then, of course, Myron uses that against Loretta, who probably really didn't give a shit because she seems like she's pretty much roll with the punches kind of person. Like, she's just waiting for the next person to off him so she can upscale her life, which, more power to her. Everyone in this town is horrible. Um, High fidelity. Including her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. I don't know, Mandy, what's your take on that scene? You're, you're the, in this case, you are the, the only woman on this panel in this very male gaze-centered film. I thought it was hilarious. We're talking about this scene where she's playing jo Joan of Arc, yeah. like frontal nudity, like, yeah, no, it was so funny. Oh my God. She is, she is just great. 
Um, I really liked her. I really would love to see yeah. She's been in really bizarre movies after that. But I'm like, I, I, I watched this. And here's another thing about um, uh, Jacqueline Lovell is she actually was going to, she was all but signed to star uh, in, in a, uh, another in a, in a TV show because the lead was heading out, but she actually, she actually dropped it to star in this movie. And I'm not going to say because this, I feel like is one of the more well-known um, full moon films of the nineties. And they made a lot of them. Um, I'm not going to say it was a poor decision, but I think that you could make the argument that it is, it's, it, 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 I wonder how she felt about it, turning down this regular role on a TV show as the lead, where she would not have to be nude all the time. I don't know if that affects her or not. Um, but taking this instead, which I don't know if it really gave her the exposure, no pun intended, that she wanted going forward. Um, and, and she literally chose this over that. Oh man, I don't know if you'd get any more exposure from the weird science TV show that no one else watched either. Yeah, I mean it's it's true, but you know, weird science. I mean, it, it's it the movie that everyone knew. But you know, exactly. At least you you would say weird science, like oh the movie, and it's like no the TV shows. Oh, I didn't know they did a TV show. Whereas now you say oh I was in head of the family, and you're like, wasn't that a sitcom in the eighties? I'm like no, no. Uh, it's a full moon video that you can stream off their website and sometimes find a used copy of at a Sitco gas station. You know what I mean? Like it's just a different beast. Um, but I really think she deserves better. And like I said, she's still acting uh, up. She, she was in some movies uh, a couple of years ago. So I haven't seen anything recently, but um, there's a TV series called forest bathing friends with benefits. Uh, I'm going to assume that that is a sexy show. I'm, I'm not going to assume <laughs> Uh, that, that that is that, that is a regular film. She did also watch it for us, Nate, and report back. She she also well, she was in a lot of Full Moon films as well uh, after this. So she did actually, to be fair, she actually did have a good career with Full Moon um, uh, post this film. She was in Lolita 2000, Fumalian. Um, uh, I think she's in a in a, a, a sort of soft reboot called Fumalians of that one as well. Just for full moon fan fanatics, it's, it's well known. So she had a career with this. I'm not, I'm not saying she didn't make, you know, a, a decent, a decent job, but I think that it is hard to, I want her to do well. Cause I think she did a good job in this movie. And it's, it's always one of those questions where like, I want to ask her, do you regret that or why? Like what's, what's the deal? And I hope you didn't regret it because I really enjoyed this film. She missed her chance uh, because it was only a few years after she could have been Rogue. She she would she would have been great as Rogue. I think she would have been fantastic. Um, I mean, I don't mind Anna Paquin, but I think that uh, especially if it was a more comic oriented and not as much of a modern take, she would have been an absolute perfect one. Um, The other, so we didn't really talk about the ending of this film, right? So um, she's they they light the pyre. Um, on stage because Lance is like no I'm not going to tell you it's my only bargaining chip I'm like alright well she's going to get burned so they light the fire and then um, uh, uh, Bob Schott's character Otis the big guy is like pretty girl no burn kind of thing and he breaks from Myron's control and runs up and rescues her right he, he takes her off stage and runs to the dungeon basement where he he flips the switch. I don't know if that's supposed to turn off the sprinkler, the fire alarm. I don't know what it does, but it's, it causes the entire house to go up and, and burn. And we assume everyone dies, but we don't really know. Um, 
and <clears throat> Otis and Loretta are outside and Loretta and Otis is like pretty girl and she's like uh-huh yeah thanks thanks buddy and he's a pretty girl and then she gets the idea and we literally see her getting the idea because that's how they've developed this character that you're the last Stackpole heir and they have all this money and so then it shoots forward and they're getting married by some justice of the peace or lawyer or something in um in a, in a room and she's like see aren't you happy and uh and then she's laughing and he's like laugh it's fun this is good and he's laughing and his laughs get louder and louder until she's like what the heck and it starts to sound like jw para's character myron's laugh and i don't know if anybody else caught that so it's oh yeah it's, it right it's clearly supposed to be this like i said before tales from the cryptian twist where oh myron did get his body uh he's now in the body of otis and he's married to loretta who also had a really gross seduction scene where she's trying to seduce uh, myron as the head in the chair and it's i don't know about anybody else we know he's not really this disturbing looking head in a chair we know this but it's still gross because they did a good job he's got liver spots all over you can see veins through his pallid scalp uh he's kind of drooling out of the corner of his mouth just a little bit all the time and she's trying and she's trying to seduce him and then they give him he of course is he knows what she's doing and he's messing with her as it turns out but he puts his tongue out and they do this thing where they have a like fake foot and a half long tongue that goes and cups her breast which is just nauseating <laughs> and i give her props for that because i don't know i can't imagine if i'm watching it on screen and i'm like gross which is of course supposed to be the effect i can't imagine actually being in the room while that's happening you know like i don't know if anybody else was like mm, gross oh yeah definitely yeah that was my wife my wife's like oh my god why are you <laughs> <laughs> nate made me do it yes yeah. and, and it, it just gave me those memories of searching the internet and and finding you know insane like Japanese videos of like live action hentai where it's like oh mm -hmm. they actually exactly had thought, a yeah. poor woman <laughs> having sex with a giant rubber octopus like really and you know what fast forward to episode Colton Classic podcast 112 I'm sure we'll review it yeah um, so <laughs> Can't so, wait. so anyway um, at the end we get that sort of come around like everyone's terrible well, Loretta doesn't get off scot-free. You know what I mean? Like, she's just married the head. Although, now he's like a seven-foot-tall strong man who is also presumably smart. We don't really know. He could, he could be limited in that. Um, we also don't know if he's the only one that's alive for real or what. It doesn't matter. But I would love to see a sequel. Um, sort of the, the, like, Teen Nick plus Drake and Josh version of True Blood, you know, like it would just, I would totally, I would totally watch that. I'd buy the season. Um, yeah. So I think we've about got there between these two films, which are clearly so closely related because in the end, in life, it's all about family. Jeff, who would you recommend Head of the Family to and why? Um, yeah. I mean, it's somebody who's in for uh kind of a silly good time like i i love the contrast between these two films the first one has no music in it the second one the like literally the first note is like kind of classical music with like some fart sounds kind of slid in so like you know exactly what the film is about um yeah i mean it's it's a good time um i, I mean i just wish that they had given me 
somebody to root for. If you have, you know, a battle between two characters, it's more fun if you can root for somebody. Um, but uh, yeah, there's such a Pollyanna. <laughs> just kidding. Right. I'm just kidding. Next, I'm done. <laughs> Mandy, who would you recommend this film to, and why? Oh man, if you wish there was more monster movies, then you should watch this. It's true. Watched all three Adams families, and then all of the monsters, <laughs> and this. <laughs> I gotta have this. more. It's like, yeah, you're yeah. like, I should stop, but I'm just gonna have that one more I, movie. You know, yeah. Tad, what about you? So, um, if you are a fan of 90s movies that feel like 80s movies, this is a <laughs> great movie. Yes. And also, if you need even more titties in your uh, sort of comedy horror movies than there usually is, then this is also a great film. And if you want to hear some banging Carolina accents. Okay, and here's the other thing, too, I want to mention. Literally banging my while wife. they're doing the <laughs> accents. <laughs> My wife always mentions this, and it's totally true. I mean, yes, Ernestina is played um, by Alexandria Quinn, who's an adult actress, and her breasts are fake. But shout out to films that have people's real body. And uh, Jacqueline Lovell is, you know, she's natural. She doesn't have implants, as far as I can tell. Like, very, very much so. And that's always nice, I think, to see in these movies, because so often we do get the people who, as uh, Maria Bamford said, you know, uh, my neighbor got breast implants, but she's in porn, so it's for work. It's deductible. You know what I mean? We get that sort of like, this is your profession, and I know just by looking at you, that's not a read. It's just if I saw a guy talking stocks in a business suit walking around, you know, Times Square, I would assume he was a stockbroker, right? That's what we see. We don't see that in this film, so kudos to that. That leaves it to me. Uh, who would I recommend this film to? I would to echo everyone else i would recommend this film to anyone who loves the adams family and wants to know what would have happened if uh skinamax bought it and did a soft reboot uh at, at 11 o'clock at night on a sunday that's what this movie is plain and simple and it was a great time i would love to see that sequel um and just as a note follow full moon video they did kickstart a whole bunch of films last year including a new subspecies movie by ted nicolau who uh did uh, bad channels uh, if, if you enjoyed that on our podcast, check it out. So, uh, yeah, that's it for this episode of uh, Cult and Classic Podcast. As always, our clips are used for review purposes only and are the rights uh, are retained by the film owners. And if you would like to hear any of our music, it is by The Chud. You can visit them at facebook.com slash The Chud Band. Keep an eye out for our upcoming Patreon uh, and follow us at cultandclassicpodcast.com and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. And please, if you enjoy our podcast, leave a review at iTunes, Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere there are podcasts, there are reviews, and leave reviews. My name is Nate Wyckoff. Have a great day. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com, where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.